friends. Welcome to Cool Girls Look at Explosions. This is an action movie podcast where we cover action movies, of course. My name is Kelly. And hi, I'm Megan. This week, we are covering Charlie's Angels from the year 2000. And I did do a little background research before we really get into the plot of this one. So, Meg, are you ready to hear some fun facts about Charlie's Angels? Yeah, hit me with the fun facts. All right, so I got most of this information from a Vanity Fair retrospective that was written in 2019 by Ashley Spencer, just so that we've got, you know, our sources straight. And it kind of posed a really interesting question that I think we might want to explore further while we're talking about the movie, which is, is this movie a champion of a post-feminist world where women don't have to sacrifice their sexuality, or is this a movie that is by men for men? I would say the the first point. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of different scenes where the women, like Drew, for example, um, like can sleep with different men and no one's judging her for it. And, you know, she's dating around. They dress in these great outfits, but can still turn down men and get their job done. And it's not even a question. I think that they're fantastic. And I don't think it's a movie by men for men. I think it's very feminist and it's one of the few movies that we've kind of gone back uh to watch and i think it's really inspirational and still is a great role model for kids yeah i feel like this is the first movie that we can both kind of see ourselves into you know it being like a female-led cast i just i feel like it was a really fun one for us yeah i absolutely love this movie i thought that it was so great it I actually think, because I think a lot of the movies that we've been watching, we mainly make fun of. And this one, there's like a lot of jokes to be had as well. But it was just a good movie. Yeah, it was super fun. And talking a little about Drew Barrymore, she had like a huge hand in making this film and having it made. So she actually had put together like clips from her own personal library and convinced Sony that they should make this movie because she had acquired the rights to Charlie's Angels way before this movie came out in 2000. And it's estimated she earned like $40 million from this movie, from her $9 million as her acting fee, and then additional money she earned from owning the rights to the Charlie's Angels property. And they think she made about $80 million for the sequel. Damn, get it, Drew. She She's killer. Yeah, the one of the interviews that I listened to said that she pulled out these TVs with uh, like VHSs She would put it in, and the three movies that she wanted to kind of base this movie off of are Foul Play, Enter the Dragon, and the musical number from Used Cars. And they wanted it to be really, like, campy and fun and have cool, interesting outfit changes, but still be really inspiring and show these women as strong, independent characters and have them get the job done, but also make them very relatable. And I think something that I really appreciate is that, yes, we have these action-packed scenes, but along the way, the girls are still living their lives and going on dates and doing fun things together. So we get to see their personalities and who they are at work and outside of work, which I think makes the characters so much more relatable. We don't only see them doing their work because I think we're all a little bit different at work. Totally. Yeah. Drew is a badass and the way that she was able to get this going is so cool. One other thing that I feel like we can just quickly talk about before we don't jump in is that the director of this movie, Mick G, was kind of more known for directing 
music videos before this, which I think is kind of interesting. And I think you can kind of see that influence a lot throughout the movie. So something we can kind of put a pin in while we talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I think he did a great job. I I think I already said this, but I really like this movie. I think they had really interesting scenes and the music throughout the whole thing was great as well. Oh, yeah. Also, McGee was almost the lead singer for the group uh, Sugar Ray. McGee. There you go. So let's talk about each of the girls a little bit. We can kind of set up their personalities. And then do you want to dive into the film itself? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Perfect. So I guess first off, who's your favorite? I mean, I'm so torn. I want to say Dylan because... First of all, Drew Barrymore is so hot and so cool, but I might have to go with Alex. Okay, so uh, Cameron Diaz, you don't care about. Is I, that I like her. <laughs> Natalie, she's a good character too, but she's just not like, you know, she's not, not as much what I would gravitate towards, I guess. To be fair, I feel the exact same way. Alex is definitely my favorite. She's so freaking cool and she's so smart and she's definitely like the calculated one and she's dating Joey, like so fun. But yeah, Drew slash Dylan um, is definitely very close to my first choice because she's really badass throughout the movie. Yeah, so kind of going through them, we have Natalie, who's played by Cameron Diaz. She's kind of like... The blonde, they show her in her intro wearing a big, like, headgear, and she's very smart. She was on Jeopardy, it looks like, we see in one scene. Um, We have Alex, who's played by Lucy Liu, who it looks like has worked for NASA, which is pretty sick. And then we have Dylan, who's played by Drew Barrymore, who was kind of like an army tomboy type of character. Yeah, Drew's definitely a bit more of a brawler, like, rebel child. Scenes that they had her in were like smoking at high school and uh they show her at police academy like punching her chief in the face and storming off and um she also loves scrabble so she's very well-rounded they kind of all are i feel like Mm -hmm. yeah i think that they have a lot of different facets to their personality which sometimes in like just a quick like comic-y action film it's not as character driven it's a lot about okay the mission and the gadgets and and how are we going to get this done and the main guy gets the girl and she's in trouble but then he saves her and this one we actually get to know the characters in a really deep way because of these little montages they keep doing where they're quick and we get a lot of information at once but it really helps shape who they are like alex we see that, you know, she was an equestrian rider and works for NASA and is intelligent, but you also see that she has a lot of heart and wit and she can't cook and, you know, is just, while she's all these really cool and intelligent things, you also see her throughout the film being really nervous about telling her boyfriend what her real job is and, you know, she's pretending to be just a bikini waxer instead of a secret agent and it's fun to see that this confident woman could, you know, get a little sheepish and and blush a little in front of her boyfriend and, and be nervous to talk to him too. I mean, I would probably also be nervous to talk to Matt LeBlanc in the year 2000. This was like at the height of his powers almost. Oh, I'd be nervous to talk to him today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like literally screamed at my TV being like, oh my God, Joey. Oh, he made it in acting. This is the best. <laughs> you know, does he only play actors in films? 
I hope so. I don't want to see anything that he's in where he's not an aspiring actor. I want to see a film where Matt LeBlanc is playing like the supervillain. Come through Marvel. I feel like I would just give him whatever he wants. I'd be like, oh, you're so charming. (laughs) It's fine. So should we dive into our opening scene here? Yes. One of my favorite scenes, I will say. I feel like I might say this about every scene. I love this movie. (laughs) It was so good. There are so many times where I just started yelling at my TV and texting Kelly pictures of it. It was so good. Yeah. So we start off and I feel like this happens quite a bit, but we're on a plane. I don't know why the plane is such a popular setting for action movies, but here we are again. And we see a couple of things. We're kind of starting off in the first class cabin. And did you notice, first of all, the nuns? Um, Like, I saw them, but I didn't really focus on them. Okay, it was very distracting to me. I was like, ooh, nuns in first class. Good for them. I can tell... I can tell you what I was distracted by, which is such a nothing thing as well, but it was so nostalgic. So there's a kid in the first scene and he's playing with like an elastic ball where it's not tight, but there's just like these little almost tendrils sticking out of it. And you just grab onto one of them and you can kind of bounce it up and down. Did you ever have that? I think I did. Yeah. I vaguely remember having one. Oh, man, I had a rainbow one, and it was, like, my favorite thing when I was little. I'd, like, whip it around. So I saw that and obviously wasn't paying enough attention to the nuns. I thought you were going to say he had a bop it, and I was like, did I miss someone having a bop it? Because, wow, I would have been <laughs> so mad plane? at myself. <laughs> Imagine how annoying that would be oh if some God. kid was playing with a bop it while you're trying to sleep. <laughs> Dear God. Um, <laughs> interesting little cameo here. During this scene as well, I'm not sure if you heard, but there was someone teaching two women how to speak Cantonese. Did you notice that at all? No, I didn't. Okay. I feel like there was a lot going on on this plane. Yeah, there's a lot in this first little bit in first class. So that was actually, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, but I'm trying my very best, Chung Yan Yuen, who was the choreographer who also taught the three lead actresses all of like the fight scenes. He makes oh. a cameo in that in that little first scene. So I did do a little bit of research on him afterwards, but that's really cool. I love it when people just put themselves in their films as like little cameos. It's so fun. Yeah, I was I thought that was very fun and I like heard it in the first scene and I was like, "Oh, I need to remember to look up like what was going on there because it seems so random." But that's why that was in there. Mhm. Now this first class lounge. Unbelievable. Like, first class doesn't look like this anymore. At least not on the planes I go on. No, definitely not. I mean, I rarely get to go into first class, so. Actually, when my boyfriend and I were taking a trip, we booked our tickets, and then the day of normally is when you kind of go in and select what seats you want. And so normally we would pick seats beside each other, but when we went in to get our tickets, his ticket was blank for some reason, and we didn't really know what that meant. So they had said to deal with it, once we got to our gate. So we went and they told him that he could either pick to be in first class because they didn't, they had an extra spot or they could move people around and put him beside me. And he picked first class, which 
is fair. Totally the right choice, to be fair. I know, it was fair. But uh, the guy at the gate was like, dude, the move was to give her the ticket. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to disagree, but you can go and pick what you want and we can get through this. But I was sat in the middle of these two middle-aged men and it was just like the worst. And he's like lounging in first class. He's getting beers. And I think they had like pad thai and cheesecake and and he had this big uh, lounging chair. And I just like kind of waved at him from afar as I walked down the long aisle to my terrible seat. (laughs) With the plebs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Back in in um, economy class. I know, I know. And I even missed my snack because I fell asleep, but that's okay. So I don't think I've ever told you this story, but it is very embarrassing. Um, I travel a lot for work. Pre-COVID, I would probably fly a couple times a month. And I normally pick early morning flights because I just would rather get it over with. Like if I'm going to fly, I'd rather just go to the airport at like five, get my coffee, go on the plane and sleep going wherever I'm going to. And so there was one morning that I was on a flight and I really had to go to the bathroom because I have a very small bladder. So I was like, I need to go to the bathroom so badly. And there was a huge lineup for like the economy back of the plane bathroom. And I was like, well, whatever, I'm just going to go to the front bathroom because why not? Who cares? And I went up to the front bathroom, like, through first class, and the flight attendant (laughs) stopped me (laughs) and was like, ma'am, you can't use this bathroom. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And I was like, I I really need to go to the bathroom. Like, can I please use it? And she was like, fine, just this one time. So I went to the bathroom, and when I went back to my seat, they made an announcement over the loudspeaker being like, if you're in economy, you cannot use the first class bathroom. (laughs) And I wanted to die. At least you got to use the bathroom. I feel like things worked out in the end. But like, who cares? It's the same bathroom. It's not like it's nicer. Like, it's literally the same bathroom. And it was one of those planes where it wasn't even like first class. It was like economy, economy plus, you know? Mm, It was so, I felt so dumb. And like, Obviously, everyone knew it was me because I was the person who'd gone to the front of the plane, but don't do that, I guess, if you're on a plane. Or do, but you can only do it once and then you'll get (laughs) yelled at by the flight attendant. Yeah. Uh, I feel like she shouldn't have yelled at you, but I mean, it sounds like they let you use it anyway, but that's okay. Hey, Meg. Yeah? I hear birds can't fly this high. I hear only angels can. What? (laughs) Code words are exchanged. (laughs) We love it. So we follow, this is LL Cool J, right? Yeah. yeah. He is walking across this plane, sits in first class because of course he has first class tickets. Um, And he sits next to this guy. They exchange these code words. And this is insane for this to be at all believable but is also very hilarious, where LL Cool J, after they swap code words, pulls out just a bag of drugs and asks where the bomb is. Wait, were they drugs? I thought they were diamonds. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a powder. They They look like fake diamonds. I thought it was literally Coke. 
It could be one or the other, honestly. Can you tell? I haven't done drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, though. It happened very quickly. <laughs> is it diamonds or is it drugs? We'll never know. <laughs> okay. It is either diamonds or cocaine, and we are not sure which. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two things that look very similar. <laughs> yes, obviously. And the other guy just unzips his jacket to this huge bomb strapped to him. And he's like, haha, I'm the bomb. And I was like, what? How did, how did this get through security? Security wasn't this bad in 2000. I mean, this is pre 9-11. So I feel like security was kind of bad. But yeah, I don't know if it was you can bring a bomb on the plane bad. Yeah, that would have to be pretty outrageous. And he, his jacket's like kind of unzipped. They're just showing it off in front of people saying kind of loudly, I'm the bomb, which yeah. I guess he could just be announcing that he's cool. He's just like, I'm the bomb. <laughs> All the people who aren't in first class are like, damn, those first class people, they're just so goddamn cool. <laughs> I wish I was the bomb. He also does it, like, as soon as the um, flight attendant, like, turns around, too. And I'm like, she definitely would have seen him do this. Like, there's absolutely no way he would not. He would not have been able to get away with this. So LL Cool J, being an absolute hero, grabs the guy, like, tackles him to the door of the plane, opens it, and throws both of them out. Yep. (laughs) That's exactly what happens. (laughs) They start falling, and then there's a helicopter that comes by, and Angel Lucy Lou drops out, and they're kind of rustling around in the air. They push away from each other. LL Cool J pulls his parachute. Lucy Lou dives towards the the bomb guy, uh, grabs onto him, and pulls her parachute, and they both land on a speedboat. Yes, and I am pretty sure this was inspired by the movie Point Break, but I do not have any proof. Then then I think we can say it was inspired by the movie Point Break. Yeah, which we will eventually... Prove us wrong! (laughs) I'm going to call Catherine Bigelow and ask her. Okay, you do that. Um, So, bikini, gold bikini-clad Cameron Diaz is driving a speedboat, which is iconic, and they all magically land on it perfectly. Of course, they're angels. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Cameron Diaz has to throw in nice flight. So now the bomb guy is just absolutely screaming and going crazy, like, who are you? Like, what's happening? And my favorite scene, perhaps of the whole movie, is Drew Barrymore, who is currently looking like LL Cool J, rips off her face a la Mission Impossible, revealing that it's actually her, and I just straight up, like, screamed. I (laughs) forgot that this happened in this movie. Yeah, I died. I lost my absolute mind. It was so good, because we recently covered Mission Impossible, and that was by far one of our favorite plot points, and is something we frequently bring up in conversation of just, like, ripping your face off to reveal someone else. And this was unbelievable. I was like, you know what? I'm going to like this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Do we think that they got the LL Cool J mask made by the same person who made all of Tom Cruise's masks in Mission Impossible? I hope so. It seems very achievable for them because they're all movie stars. Yeah. And even when it was Drew wearing the LL Cool J mask, like it looked pretty good. 
It looks so good. I actually saw a deleted scene where she tried to rip the face mask off and it was really difficult to rip off and she kept getting stuck partway through. It was really funny to see it not fully come off all the way. And there's just like half distorted LL Cool J, (laughs) half Drew Barrymore. I would like to have a Drew Barrymore mask, please. (laughs) Yes, please. I will never take it off. (laughs) Yeah. Forever live the rest of my life in disguise. Yeah, I would just like to look like any of the angels, actually. Yeah, that'd be great. Do you get any celebrity lookalikes? Not really. I used to get, this is very niche, but I used to get Carrie from Mythbusters a lot. Oh, that's so fun. But you you have one that's pretty, pretty common. I do get yelled at being called Aubrey Plaza more often than not, which is fine. <laughs> it's not like the most exciting celebrity to look like, but it's fine. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's better than no one. I mean, yeah, I guess. I just don't have a good response when someone walks up to me and says, oh, you look like Aubrey Plaza. I go, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the exact appropriate response. (laughs) So after the angels take care of this bad guy, we get this montage explaining who each of them is and who Charlie's angels are. So we've kind of gone over um, each of the different characteristics. But again, we have Natalie, played by Cameron Diaz. Uh, we see her doing a wheelie in a student driver car, winning at Jeopardy. We see Alex, who is played by Lucy Liu, that is an equestrian champion and an astronaut. And we see Drew Barrymore, high school druggie and a uh, potential cop. So these three are beautiful, brilliant, and they all work for Charlie, who is a mysterious millionaire who gets them to do, I guess, secret agent jobs for him, but they've never seen him or know really anything about him. I don't know how they were hired. Yeah, he's kind of a, it seems like a private investigator is what it says on uh, the residence that we see later. So I guess we'll go with that. But as far as I know, most private investigators don't have to know Kung Fu. Now, if a mysterious millionaire called you and said, hey, I'd like you to be a secret agent for me, what is your answer? I'd probably assume they had the wrong phone number. I don't think that I'm super qualified for that job. You aren't an equestrian champion and an astronaut? Um, One thing that I actually can do would be ride a horse, <laughs> but mm. we find ourselves with Dylan, and she is asleep with a character named Chad, who's played by Canadian Tom Green, and he loves to call her Starfish. I do feel like Starfish is not a flattering name. I think not in the connotation that, like, they clearly had just engaged in coitus, and I don't think that <laughs> Starfish is, like, the most desirable of the of the positions. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's the direction I was coming at it from of, you know, I think I, I'd be displeased if someone called me a starfish. But he says it in a very loving way. He does. He clearly is very, very into Dylan. And yeah, his his boat is it's a boat. Does a guy having a boat make a difference for you? Are you like, oh damn, that guy has a boat? I mean, I think that'd be pretty fun. Does it depend on the boat or any boat is good? I think, like, if they had, like, a dinghy, I wouldn't be that impressed. But if they had a houseboat, like, that's pretty sick. Even if they live on it, I'd still think that was pretty fun. 
I think if they had a houseboat, I'd be into it. But if they lived on the houseboat, I'd be a little less into it. But what if it was like a really nice houseboat? I just feel like you can't really own pets on a houseboat that well. I think you can. And I think you make a lot of money as like an influencer. Are are a lot of influencers houseboat residents? I don't know. The only person that I can actually think of that owns a houseboat is that one guy from Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> Bryce, the piano man. Oh, I hated him. He was the worst. So here we get a little cut scene of each of the girls. So we have Drew on the houseboat. Um, we have Natalie, who is dancing the night away at a nightclub. And I think it was a dream, and she wakes up, and then she's dancing in her house. <laughs> it was definitely a dream, because <laughs> she wakes up from it. But, you know, it could be based on memory. We do see an iconic dance scene later. That is true. And she's dancing away in her underwear. She gets a knock at the door. Do you answer your door in your underwear? I had the exact same question written down. And <laughs> of course not. Are you joking? And she like dances her way over to the door. No, this is so silly. Like, you obviously would at least put on some pants. And her underwear were so bold. I mean, they were very cute. She's wearing like Spider-Man underwear, but... Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as confident in my body as Cameron Diaz is, but I would definitely have, like, thrown on some sweatpants and, like, a baggy-ass sweater to get the UPS delivery. Yeah, so she has a little bit of banter with the doorman, um, just kind of showing, you know, she likes the men, she hits on them, she's, she, like, puts it out there, whether it's intentional or not. I think she accidentally say says a lot of innuendos throughout the film. And then we move over to Lucy Liu, who is seeing Joey. And I just got so excited that Joey was there. Yes. So Alex is dating Jason, who's played by Matt LeBlanc. And they're just kind of chatting. She had made him some muffins, which it seems like she's not a very good cook, is what we've gathered from this scene. That's the most disappointing part about Alex, because I really love to cook. And while Alex is, like, perfect in every category, she is a terrible cook, and that's very sad. Totally. And what do you think is the protocol of someone who makes you something that's really gross? I think it depends on who it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm too polite and, like, would eat anything. Oh, I certainly wouldn't eat anything. But if it's, like, someone you're pretty close with and you're okay with being honest with them, you could just say like oh you know i mean i wouldn't say it to any friends now that i think of it but um yeah if it's like family maybe just like pick the parts of it that you do like i don't know it's really hard i would sooner eat the gross thing than say anything <laughs> i think it depends how gross it is these muffins it looks like can take out drywall so it does. <laughs> you don't want to break a tooth <laughs> And then we move swiftly on to the introduction of Bosley, who is played by Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Are you a BM fan? Um, I'm coming around to him more. I think he's universally beloved, and I just haven't seen that many movies with him in it. And it, he wasn't my favorite, but also Drew Barrymore wasn't one of my favorite actors slash actresses before this film. And I really came around to her on this movie, and I, I really liked him in this movie, but I haven't loved him in other things. Yes. So, you know who else didn't love Bill Murray during the filming of this? Lucy Liu. Apparently, they got into a huge fight. Oh my gosh, do you know what about? 
Um, so he disputes this. And I've read, like, multiple articles, so it's kind of hard to tell if this actually happened or not. But allegedly, he said that she was not a very good actress. Bill. While they were on set. And he also butted heads with the director of the movie. Yeah. That's that's upsetting to hear, because Lucy Liu is flawless. So, one, how dare you? But he says he didn't say it? I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say. He didn't come back for the sequel, though. But, yeah, we meet Bosley... And the girls are all gathered with Bosley, and we learn that Charlie's going to call and explain what the mission is for the angels. Iconic mission delivery scene. I feel like so many movies are based off of this one now, right? It seems like it, like getting like the full mission. I also like that this movie just kind of has like the one mission plot, which is nice because you know, Mission Impossible, I feel like, was very confusing. We were all over the place. This one was a little easier to follow. Yeah, definitely. So we have Eric Knox, who is the engineer and founder of Knox Technology. And now Eric has been kidnapped. And we believe that it is because of the voice identification software that Knox Technology has developed. And we believe that their competitors are the ones that kidnapped him and stole this technology. Uh, the angels have been hired by Vivian Wood, who is Eric Knox's partner. And um, she has hired them to go and find Eric and get their technology back. Yes, she is his partner, wink, wink, as well as his partner in terms of she's the VP of the company. Mm-hmm. And I really like um, that in this scene... I don't remember which angel says it, but they're like, well, obviously, she's the one who did it, which all of the true crime in me was like, yes, she obviously did it. Yeah, iconic. It was hilarious. And she quickly comes in and reveals, um, no, I'm actually the one who hired you all. And they got a tiny bit sheepish. And then we learn that the actual number one suspect is Roger Corwin, who is the head of red star technology which is the competing company so they believe he has a lot of incentive to capture eric and to steal the technology yes and he is played by one of my favorites tim curry i thought he was great i love tim curry so much tim curry can do no wrong tim curry is so fucking cool so the plan is basically that they're going to kind of spy on Corwin at his weekly massage and they're going to sneak in there and try and get as much information about possibly if he has taken Eric or where he might have taken Eric or why he might have taken Eric. So the angels dress up and we head out to the massage parlor. I hate every second of this because there is so much feet. So Kelly famously hates feet, and so I thought of her the whole time during this scene because we have Alex who dresses up and pretends to be the masseuse go into Roger's appointment, and she's giving him a massage, but she jumps on him, is walking on his back, she's rubbing her feet in his face, and then she uses her feet to knock him out. During this time, she grabs his keys from his pocket, runs them to the other girls, they go and they find his locker... And they take a copy of his keys and a copy of his phone. So after the girls get copies of his keys and his phone, Alex runs back into the room and starts massaging his back so that when he wakes up, she pretends that he just dozed off during their appointment and she had been there the whole time. Now, 
Roger at this point says, you're very good with your hands. I could use someone like you on my staff. Alex replies, thanks for the offer, but my hands aren't going anywhere near your staff, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, great delivery from Lucy Liu as Alex in this scene. Yeah, Alex is fantastic. She shuts down a few different men throughout the movie and is just flawless every time. Roger Corwin's clearly a creep, and that's just a horrible line. Yeah, this is one of the things where I'm like, oh, God, some of the things written in this movie, I'm like, (laughs) I do like that none of these cheesy lines work, and it's just them, like, shutting him down. And the other nice thing is, I mean, small, (laughs) nice thing, like a, a little silver lining is the men, after they say no... Like, he he leaves it alone and he walks out. That is a great point. hmm And we get something in my notes where I just wrote feminism because we have the <laughs> independent woman drop during the next scene, which is them going to the fast food drive through. which, what an iconic song that came out for this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, this fast food scene is so fun, and their car technology, are you kidding me? I feel like that would sell really well today, where you can print little photos in your car. I feel like that's actually very fun. Yes, and this is our first time where we meet or see a photo of Creepy Thin Man. Oh my gosh. So, um, the girls, they have uh, the video surveillance of when Eric was kidnapped, And they zoom in and they heighten the quality of the photos because apparently that's so easy to do with their technology. And they get this perfect printout of one of the bad guys at the scene. Yes. So Creepy Thin Man is played by Crispin Glover. And how much do you know about Crispin Glover in general? Like nothing. Okay. So he's a bit of an oddball. Um, He was in Back to the Future. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, he was the father, like Marty McFly's father, Mm. but he is only in the first one. He's not in the second one. And then they essentially, like, tried to fake make him be in the second one, even though he didn't want to be, by using, like, a body double and using old footage. And then he sued um, Robert Zemeckis (laughs) for that. Did he win? um, I don't know if he won, but they had to change, like, all contracts in the future now. For actors, basically, say that, like, you're not allowed to use someone's likeness in that manner if they, like, have already turned down your project. Mm. Which is pretty crazy. But, yeah, he's he's a bit of a, an interesting guy. And so I was reading a bit about him kind of signing on for this movie. And when he originally read it and knew that he was going to be cre- Creepy Thin Man, I almost called him Crispy Thin Man, <laughs> which is a <laughs> different character. Um... <laughs> Not in this movie. Maybe that's in a fan fiction. But when he originally signed on to be Creepy Thin Man, he had lines. So there was dialogue that Creepy Thin Man said. And Crispin Glover was like, oh, I think it's creepier if he just doesn't talk. So Yeah, definitely correct. He is creepy AF. Yeah, so he had all of the dialogue removed from the character. And he was the one who came up with, like, the weird screaming that we're going to get into later. And, like, his weird hair fetish, which we're also going to get into but you have Crispin Glover to thank for all of the development with this character, basically. Okay, what is worse, a hair fetish or a foot fetish? Ew, I think feet, for sure. Because, <laughs> like, 
hair is whatever. Like, you can take off a chunk of my hair. I don't care. But, like, do what? not do no. not come near my feet. Okay. I completely disagree. I feel like hair is way worse because it's re- it's way harder to cover your hair, whereas you're normally wearing socks or shoes. So, if you're not – if you want to, like, hide your feet, it's very easy and common to – Whereas I don't want to wear a hat for the rest of my life if there's some, like, creepy hair fetish person. Yeah, and, like, let me be clear. I'm not fetish shaming anyone. Like, you do you. I don't want to yuck your yum. If you like feet, that's cool. (laughs) I just personally am very anti-foot, so I could not be with someone with a foot fetish. And I think – oh, my God. I keep calling him Crispy Thin Man. Okay, can we – he can be Crispy Thin Man. I think he has to be. He, from now on, shall be dubbed Crispy Thin Man. (laughs) He has to be. So, (laughs) Crispy Thin Man, I think he isn't into, like, hair on your head, though, right? Because, like, he only, like, cuts off chunks of people's hair. He rips it out and then he sniffs – okay, okay. I feel like we've gotten ahead of ourselves, We'll get into it. We'll get into it. So we're still at the drive-thru. They leave the drive-thru. They've had some delicious burgers and fries, which – Bless this movie for showing women eating real food. And we go back to home base and we bump into Boss. They have been surveying the phone where they had gotten a copy of it. And they discover that Corwin is going to be at a party later. So they get all dressed up in disguises and they head down to this party. Yes. So the cover is essentially that Boss Lee will be the one kind of leading the charge, talking to Corwin. And he is going to be JD, who is a self-help guru and then we've got dylan and alex both walking in with bosley as his arm candy and then they kind of split up to go into the party and natalie is undercover as a bartender so she's kind of dressed up in her little bartender outfit and she is actually serving drinks to people yeah she i hope she got paid for that job because she's actually doing it and we do get introduced to a fun piece of tech before they head out which are mouth molar microphones what what would they be called yeah i think they're like technically transmitters based on what happens later but essentially it's a little device inside on top of the molar where they'll be able to talk to each other it's almost like a walkie-talkie but it's in their mouths so it's hilarious that boss keeps trying to keep his mouth open around people um so he's supposed to be like the guy with the tech who gets them set up for the missions and it's hilarious to see him using this tech seemingly incorrectly, where it should be a little bit more flawless and you can look natural. But every conversation he's having with people, he's just leaving his mouth gaping open, kind of leaning in. Yeah, he's just like ready to like eat anything that walks by. Basically. <laughs> Someone's mouth was open and they were leaning in while I'm trying to talk to them. You know I'm backing up. Oh, yeah. I think they were like trying to kiss me or something. I'd be like, oh, I'm good. No, thank you. (laughs) They're like, just speak a little bit more into my mouth if you could. (laughs) So I do have one uh, little gripe with this scene that we're going to get into in a minute, where Boss is offered blowfish, which is called fugu, and they say that one in 60 is fatal, which is not true. Sorry. Yeah, definitely not. This is like very specifically my issue, but I was like, whoa. What is this misinformation about tetrodotoxin right now? I do not enjoy that. Excellent to point out. Um, So if you want to eat blowfish, you can probably go for it. You're probably going to be fine. You might get a numb mouth, though. 
Well, that's no fun. I've never had blowfish. Have you? No. I mean, it's kind of like not a thing in Toronto. I feel like you can only get it certain places. I think maybe if we looked really hard somewhere in Toronto would have it, but I've never seeked it out. Yeah. I feel like the place to go is Japan because it has to be like a specific chef who's trained to like cut the right Mm -hmm. part of the blowfish. Yeah. So I'd, I'd probably rather trust going to the source. Yeah, definitely. Japan is like my number one dream destination. So maybe after COVID, oh my God. I'll go Hopefully. eat some blowfish. Uh, one day. We'll have a blowfish party. <laughs> is it expensive? I, think I feel it's like maybe expensive. we can have like one. <laughs> I think it's pretty expensive, but I don't think it's like prohibitively expensive. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. Maybe we will have a blowfish party in Japan one day. During this party, while Natalie is bartending, she does also get to meet her love interest for the movie, who is Pete, played by Luke Wilson. Do we like Pete? I'm such a sucker for the freaking Wilson brothers. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm like a huge Wes Anderson fan and they're in a lot of his movies, but like, I just love Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. So therefore, I am saying, yes, I love Pete. Yeah, he's he's pretty great. I feel like he's so cute and charming and not too forward and is like humble enough. And he goes and he asks um, Natalie out in like a really charming way. And Natalie um, says, yes, like, of course I want to go. And he says, how about Thursday? And she says, Thursdays are my favorite day, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah, it's such an adorable little exchange. Are Thursdays the best day? Is my other question. I mean, I think Fridays or probably Saturdays are the best day. I feel like probably Friday because your workday is almost done and you have the whole weekend ahead of you. But you still have to work on Friday, you know? At least Saturday you have the whole day to yourself. That's true. You could argue your way into convincing me that Saturday is better than Friday. Yeah, Sunday is out of the question. Sundays are disgusting. (laughs) Sorry. In isolation, Sundays are very similar to Saturdays. I I just still really badly get the Sunday scaries. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fair. I feel like Sunday is also the, okay, shit, I have to get a lot of shit done today in preparation for tomorrow. So it's a little bit more task-based. For sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So while we're at the party and while Nat is flirting away, Alex spots our friend, Crispy Thin Man, from across the room. So she starts trailing him pretty quickly and grabs her other girls using her molar mouthpiece and they also start running after him. So they chase him through the party. He beats them into an elevator so they're a little bit behind him and we end up going out onto the street. You really yada yada past the fantastic costume change. Oh yes, we can definitely talk about the costume change, my bad. I love one fashion montages and two costume changes in film. (laughs) It's like my favorite. Yeah, so they are all in, aside from Nat, obviously, who's dressed as a server, Dylan and Alex are in like fabulous like gowns and they essentially like slow-mo while they're like running down a stairwell, like tear off (laughs) their gowns in a spectacular, in a spectacular manner. Yeah, and they run out of the building, and they're fully in, like, tight black combat clothes, ready to go, wasted no time. 
and are just chasing down the crispy. And they do get to him, and he is very scary in this moment. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, he is so freaking creepy. So there's this chained fence that they run up to, and somehow he dives sideways through the skinniest part of this chain fence, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, he like because, parkours through it. It's wild. Yeah, he dives like sideways headfirst through it, somehow lands, and all three of these girls are smaller than him, so hypothetically they could have just wiggled through the middle of this fence as well, but instead they launch Natalie up and over the fence, and she um, opens it for them. Yeah, and they try and fight Creepy Thin Man, kind of-ish. He kind of kicks their asses. Yeah, so he made his whole point of drawing them down here, he gets them to follow them into this almost labyrinth. So it's a circular room that has doors all around it. They check all three because he's managed to run a little bit faster than them. They try another door that's locked. Um, but there's a little glass window at the top. And one of the girls busts through it. I believe that it's Dylan and opens the door for the rest of them. And it looks like they're in this sewer. And they see Eric Knox in the middle of the room, tied to a chair with rats on his feet. And they go free him. Yes. So they find him, Eric Knox. I don't know if we said earlier, but he's played by Sam Rockwell. And essentially, Knox also explains at this point that the reason why it's such a big issue that his software, if it gets stolen, is that they're going to be able to use his software to turn any device into a honing signal using the voiceover thing that Knox Industries has created. Yes, and Red Star has satellites that would be able to pinpoint any voice in the world. So if they hear a voice, they are able to identify exactly whose voice it is you, using like this vocal DNA technology paired with the satellites can then pinpoint the location anywhere in the world. So that's why these two technologies put together would be so deadly. At this point, the women should have been a tad suspicious that Crispy Thin Man led them directly to Eric Knox because you would think that if he had just run any other direction, they would have never found him. Yeah, that and also he's like explaining why the software could be so dangerous. Why aren't they like, oh yeah, our boss who we've heard his voice and have no idea who he is or where he is, that like they could find this billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> but they are un perturbed by all of this information and instead hatch a new plot which is they're going to plant a hidden camera on corwin at his red star car unveiling yes so after the girls had saved eric he goes through and he, he explains why this technology is so dangerous and they decide that the girls need to sneak into red star and try to get this technology back, or at least discover if they actually were the ones who had stolen their technology. So they discover that out at the racetrack is where they can learn more about Roger Corwin, and they go there disguised as a race pit team. Oh my gosh, and these outfits are everything. They're all in these full, like, America jumpsuits. Oh my god, it's so great. I want one. 
Oh my gosh, they're unbelievable. They are looking unbelievable. I also like all the wig changes. I think that's fun. Oh yeah, fun. the wig changes are amazing. So they're looking like a bomb-ass pit crew. They're like distracting everyone, but they're also sneaking in successfully. So the point of this trip is to find Roger Corwin's briefcase and plant a little camera on it so that when he's walking around um, Red Star, they can see the inside and try to figure out a plan of how to sneak in and check if they've stolen the, the technology. To do this, they need to get into Roger Corwin's car's trunk where he's keeping his briefcase. So they need to distract the driver who is sitting in the front seat and Roger Corwin, who is off on the racetrack enjoying his time. So we have, um, is it Boss who's talking to Roger Corwin? Yeah, so Boss Lee essentially approaches Corwin and is like fawning over the Red Star race car and kind of being like, oh, like, can I sit in it? And just being a little bit of a ham. And then at the same time, Dylan goes over to corwin's personal vehicle where he has his driver sitting and she begins to flirt with the driver so she's distracting the driver she's like acting all you know like oh my my jumpsuit's so unbuttoned oh my goodness and she's like licking the steering wheel and just it is wild meanwhile we have alex who sneaks up behind the car and is the one to actually get into the trunk to get the briefcase in my notes, I do have a question for you, and I think you probably know what it will be of, would you lick a steering wheel? No. No one is <laughs> to, surprised. <laughs> to, to save your boss. No, I'm sorry. That is very unhygienic. <laughs> to save his life. Maybe if I have to, but I wouldn't like it. I'd be pretty mad about it. Yeah, she probably could have flirted with him without licking the steering wheel. Yeah, like, just flash a boobie or something instead. <laughs> I would way rather actually get naked than lick the steering wheel. Yeah, yeah, the steering wheel was an excessive um, measure that she took, but you know she's fully committed. Yeah, I think I would rather let the driver touch my feet than lick the steering wheel. How's that? Whoa, that that's extreme. So Alex successfully gets this camera onto the briefcase, they close it, and they head back over to their car. At this point, they see Crispy Thin Man, and he is about to get into a race car. And there's this really close-up scene of him holding Drew's hair, or Dylan's hair, that he had ripped a chunk out of earlier. He's still holding it, and he's just like rubbing it on his face and the back of his neck. And then he hops into his race car and starts driving around the track. Why does no one say anything when he's doing Why does that? no one say anything? <laughs> he's in front of like 10 people, including Corwin. Why is Corwin not like, yo, this driver is unhinged. Why are we letting him drive this race car? Now, I try to not talk to you about the movie before the podcast. But I truly could not help myself. <laughs> I took like a video clip of this and I sent it to Kelly and like a photo of my face being like, what on earth is happening? This is unhinged. I cannot handle this. This man is just like rubbing hair on his face, which is just gross. And he's held it. Like it's not even, 
like held together with a hair elastic, like it just loose in his hand. I have a lot of logistical questions about how he's been carrying it around. Oh, it's so gross. Like, he just does not need to do this. And the fact that Crispin Glover was like, I've got an idea for this character and came up with this, like, Crispy, what are you doing? He he must like hair a little bit in real life if he, like, I wonder how quickly he came up with this idea. Suggestion <laughs> one, day one, yo, I this character really needs a hair fetish it if we really want him to be creepy, wink. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, not good. Not good. So he hops into the race car and starts driving. At this point, Natalie runs up to her car, jumps in, and decides to chase him around the racetrack. Luckily, Alex points out what I think we are probably all thinking in our head, which is, why is she doing that? A racetrack is around. It's not like he's going anywhere. A very, very important point. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of even out loud, I was like, oh, good. Like they acknowledge this, that that this is a ridiculous scene. But then we see Crispy break off from the from the racetrack and start driving down actual streets. And he leaves this circular confinement. Yes. Yeah, so now they're having like an actual chase scene through the streets of Los Angeles And it basically ends with them on top of a bridge, and they're playing chicken. Now, there is a scene of a seagull on the bridge, and they did wait for the seagull to move, which I do have in my notes. Kelly wouldn't have waited for the seagull to move. Oh, not this. (laughs) Oh, no. So, one day, I was driving, Megan and I... (laughs) To meet up with a couple friends, and we we were also on the phone with them in blue on like the Bluetooth speaker in my car, and this was totally by accident. Like I would never purposely hit a bird, but a bird literally dive bombed into the front corner of my car while we were driving, and I like screamed so loud, <laughs> and our friends who were on the phone were like, "What is happening?" and I don't know what happened to the bird. I like looked in the rearview mirror and it was all dazed and I just felt so bad, but I'm not a bird killer. Yeah, I, I'm i mainly joking, but <laughs> it was actually my first thought. <laughs> Every time I see a bird now, I'm like, oh, got to give it space, got to <laughs> give it time. So we've all learned from this experience, grown from it. We have a greater respect for birds, yet are still confused about why it would dive bomb a car. It just, it shouldn't have done that. Not, I'm not victim blaming, but it was totally the bird's fault. So they do play chicken, and we do get a winner. The winner is Natalie. Creepy Thin Man essentially just flies off of the side of this bridge. Or so we think. I do wonder, how is there a good outcome from playing chicken? I really don't think there can be. And the other weird thing is like... They're both in race cars, which I don't think are really optimized for uh, an o- the the old head-on crash, you know? No, def- definitely not. They are incredibly safe cars, so they're probably one of the safer ones you could be in, I think. I watched um, the F1 documentary on Netflix, so I'm pretty much a race car expert. Whoa, look at you. I've been known to... I've been known to turn on F1 on a Sunday morning. Wow, zoom, zoom. Mm. No, my parents are obsessed after that series, and um, they've been trying to get us to come over every Sunday morning to watch it. 
and it's just it's on at like 6 a.m i'm like man i love you but i don't love you that much perhaps they would say that sunday is the best day or their favorite day you know i'll have to ask you know a big debate um that we've had in the past in our friend group is is sunday the first day of the week or is monday the first day of the week and the answer is obviously sunday it's actually monday but we don't need to get into this here don't at me. I won't answer. I'm not a Twitter person. I don't care what day of the week you think is the first day. Don't want to hear about it. So defensive. Oh my god. It's almost <laughs> like you know I'm right. It's been um a big point of contention in my household. As in my boyfriend thinks the first day of the week is Sunday and he is an insane human being. Cuz you and Colin agree at least, right? That it's Sunday, yeah. Yeah, my house is madness. So following Creepy Thin Man's possible demise, though, of course, he's not actually gone, but at that point, it seems like he might be. We um, may I insert a soggy thin man? Ooh, soggy thin man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this the is, bows. He's the most important <laughs> character in the whole film. We need, we need a spinoff of Creepy Thin Man for sure. Isn't Slender Thin Man the, the creepy spinoff? <laughs> Slender Man. <laughs> Is that not where this came from? Oh my god, it all makes sense. <laughs> they're at least cousins. Yeah, they're definitely in the same family. Mm-hmm. So after that, we do get the classic breakdown of the next caper that the crew is going to go on. So they're going to break into Corwin, Corwin's office at Red Star. And essentially, they kind of break down all of the different barriers to entry. So there are two directors to get into the mainframe room, and they both need to sync their entrance so that it happens at the same time. There's a gelatin finger plate scanner, which looks very fun to put your hand into, might I add. Then a retina scan, so those two need to be done at once. And then there's an airless chamber. And finally, through the airless chamber, there is a pressure-sensitive floor. They need to get through all of this so that they'll be able to hack into the mainframe and figure out if Corwin actually stole the technology from Eric Knox or not. Yes. For this scene, all I wrote in capital letters was lips. <laughs> so after the briefcase um, had been successfully rigged up with the cameras, the girls are able to get a full breakdown of where this mainframe is and figure out, okay, these are the obstacles we need to accomplish. So they've got this like great red lipstick on, and it's just a real close-up of their lips on one side of the screen, and the other side has um, the visual of what needs to get done. So as Kelly was saying, like the fingerprint, the retinal scan, all that, they show it while there's like this real mouth close-up explaining it, which I think is so fun. It reminds me of Rocky Horror. Oh, true, true. Starring Tim Curry. And then we do get this scene. It's kind of just a montage of them stealing different items so that they'll be able to break into the mainframe and get through all of these things that we've discussed. And we start off with some problematic stuff right off the bat, um, where they go to steal a fingerprint from a beer bottle, and they're essentially at... I don't even know what you would describe this as. It reminded me of, like, have you been to the Sultan's Tent? No. Here in Toronto? It's basically like a Moroccan cafe where they have belly dancers. So 
to set up the scene for all of our listeners who might not have watched the movie, Lucy Liu and Cameron Diaz, so Alex and Natalie, are on stage, and they're, like, dressed in belly dancing outfits, and they're performing, and Dylan, who is in brown face... Is yeah, that that was really hard to watch. It it was a real oh god damn it. Yeah, like, <laughs> why this is big yikes. And at first I was like, is it just my TV? And then I was like, no, 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 this is not good. So she goes and steals a bottle off of the table from one of the directors, and on it is his fingerprint. So they take that back to the lab and they print up a fake hand, which that technology was hella cool. Oh, it was so funny. It reminded me of if you've ever bought a magician kit with the fake thumb that you put oh, over yeah. your real thumb <laughs> oh so God. you can like stash uh, scarves and things in it. That's what it reminded me of. Yes, totally. But yeah, oh my God, the the brown face just, I can't. It's so bad. Yeah, that whole scene was very problematic. Um, so we're just gonna yada yada over to director number two because they have the first director's fingerprint successfully. Um, whereas director two, they decide that they are going to show up to his house and present a gift, um, while singing to try to get him to, um, reveal his eyes, I guess, so they can get a scan of it. Do you want to explain this a little bit better? Yeah. So they're dressed as German yodelers and they're basically delivering like a singing telegram. This is, this is fantastic. This is like my favorite little bit. I think it's super funny. And they also get Bosley in on it. So he is their tuba player. And there's like a retinal scanner inside the tuba. So they're singing to him in German, uh, singing to the director that is in German. And then he leans in really close to the tuba and the tuba scans his eye. Yeah, hilarious, flawless. I wish that this was real tuba technology. Uh, maybe it is and we just didn't know. Stay, keep your face away from tubas. Who knows? This just really brought me back to like our Oktoberfest days. Oh my goodness. So we both went to school in a town in Ontario called Waterloo, which I believe has the second largest Oktoberfest only to the real Oktoberfest. Yeah, there's like a ton of German people. Oktoberfest is huge. And there's also two universities and a college in one city so there's just a ton of students so oktoberfest is wild every year it's so much fun i completely forgot about that that was so fun i think we're like maybe too old to go to that one now but we'll have to go to munich and go to real oktoberfest okay deal one day when COVID's over we'll go to munich someday munich and japan <laughs> yeah the the dream locations So after we have collected the two things from the directors, we switch over to an office scene. And Alex comes in in the best outfit of this whole movie. Alex is so flawless. She's literally in like a full leather outfit and like carrying like a whip. And so this is supposed to be Red Star's office essentially. And she has like a meeting with all of the, I assume they're like the engineers and all of the software yeah. people. Mm-hmm. All the engineers. And we meet Doris as well, who is played by Melissa McCarthy. So a little oh. Melissa McCarthy cameo all in I, here. All I wrote was Suki because she's from um, Gilmore Girls, which is just the best. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so Alex takes all of the 
all of the engineers and software guys into a meeting and essentially gets them all riled up by saying like, you are the ones who do all the work and you need to be telling your managers what you need and give me your suggestions. And one of the suggestions that she gets is regarding the Coke machine, which I love. They really have their priorities in order here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote that she essentially starts a revolution in order to distract the whole office and allow Natalie and Dylan to break into the mainframe. Yes, absolutely. So we learn that the engineers think that the Coke machine should be free because caffeine helps them work faster, which she agrees with. And she starts up, like gets everyone real riled up and is asking for more ideas and everyone's shooting their hand into the air, like begging to tell her their ideas. And she says, you know what? Don't tell me, show me and gets all of them to stand up and walk out of the room this allows uh, Dylan and Natalie to follow behind while everyone's walking out of the room so it's not suspicious that they're leaving. And as they walk past the door to the mainframe, Dylan and Natalie just stay behind. Yes, and Dylan and Natalie are both dressed up uh, as men. And we have a, a rare comment from Colin, my fiancé, who was very convinced that Dylan, dressed as a man, looked exactly like Justin Timberlake in the Mother Lover Lonely Island video. Yeah, the only question I have for you is, who is a hotter man? I'm honestly torn. I feel like now I'm being too influenced by the JT comment, and I would have to say Dylan. I think it's just solely because he made that comparison. Completely fair. Justin Timberlake is very dreamy. I'm sure Colin would agree. I think he does. I think that's why he said it. So we see them put this technology to use. Um, they get their fingers scanned. Natalie gets her eyes scanned. It does not work the first time. And then they try once more. She moves the contact around in her eye once more, tries again, and they successfully get the door to open. Now, at this point, Dylan is keeping watch while Natalie switches into this all white like cat suit yeah, so she pops on her all-white morph suit because they've kind of just talked about the fact that the best way to break through the airless chamber room is that you need to be invisible. And the chamber room is also all-white, so by her wearing the suit, they, the cameras won't be able to pick up that there was anyone in there. And then she breaks into the secondary room where the mainframe actually is and does some very fancy gymnastics to be able to leap on top of the server box i'm assuming is what that is i am not a mainframe technician but that's what it looked like to me and she plugs in some sort of I'm not sure exactly what like a transponder of some sort is how i would describe it into the mainframe so that bosley back at hq is going to be able to access it so at this point, they have successfully snuck into Red Star, gotten a copy of their technology so that back at home base, they can scan it and all the girls sneak back out and leave and head back home. Yeah, and they go and meet up with Vivian quickly. And she's like super concerned that Bosley's looking into the computer and she wants access herself. And the whole thing is very sus. If we were playing Among Us, I would immediately have ejected her from the spaceship. Yeah, she's so questionable. Um, I wrote down that this was very sketchy and that obviously this shows that she's evil. 
um, and can't be trusted. So I went into the rest of this thinking that Eric is being tricked by Vivian um, and that Vivian's the only like sour one. Oh, no. Mm hmm. But yes, and the angels also decide that they need to check security out at Knox's place. So they're like, okay, one of us should go over there. And uh, Dylan is the one who's going to do that. So she heads over to Knox's. And I knew right away that there was going to be some hanky-panky solely because of the song that was playing. Oh, I I thought there would because earlier on, every time there's a scene with the two of them, they're like very obviously making eyes at each other and the camera's just focused on the two of them making looks back and forth. Fair enough. I just like as soon as that needle drop comes where it's like that, like, I was like, oh, baby, it's time. Yeah. Sorry, Tom Green. Yeah. But seriously, like. What an upgrade from Tom Green to Sam Rockwell. No offense to Tom Green. I love I love Eric in this scene. I feel like I would have been all about this. Yeah, I, I kind of do too. They seem to have played Scrabble, which is really sweet. Mm-hmm. And of course, when she goes to leave, he just grabs some shake and bake on the side and, and asks her to stay. Yeah, have I ever told you my history with shake and bake? No. <laughs> Do you have a history with Shake and Bake? What yeah. kind of history can one have? <laughs> so when I was growing up, um, famously, my mom does not cook very much. She's more of like a, you know, it was the 90s. I feel like she was like a big like hamburger helper and like old El Paso taco kit kind of mom. And Shake and Bake was also in the rotation. And I was like a super picky eater when I was younger so I would not eat chicken. I would refuse to eat any chicken. However, I would eat shake and bake because, you know, me at four or five years old didn't understand that shake and bake chicken was also chicken. <laughs> oh, man, I've never had shake and bake. I really want to try it now. Yeah, I mean, I really liked it when I was a kid. I do not eat meat anymore, so... Can't tell you. Maybe I should buy some and, like, coat some tofu in it and see if it still hits. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can, like, shake and bake some veggies. Um, I don't know what else. It could be the topping on, like, a mac and cheese. Ooh, that would actually be great, I bet. Mm-hmm. Did your parents try to trick you with any other foods? Um, That was a big one. My mom told my school that I was allergic to Coke, which is, like, very weird. She just, like, didn't want me to have it. So she told them I was fully allergic to it. I also didn't eat bacon until I was in first year university. I, I don't know. My family is just like weird with food. Yeah. The only lie that my parents really told me is they would tell me that calamari and fish was like sea chicken because we would eat chicken. <laughs> but anything else that sounded kind of weird, we would avoid. So everything was just like a different kind of chicken. So Should we get back to the show? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading my notes. So yeah, we have seen Dylan on her little impromptu date with Knox. Oh, actually, something important to bring up here is this is when we see Eric's photo of his dad. Oh, yeah. And they, yeah, so they discuss the fact that um, Eric believes his dad was killed by one of his um, combat friends when they were off at war. And I wrote down that this was foreshadowing Vivian betraying Eric because they were close friends, which turns out I was incorrect about. 
Um, but this is just an important point to note that um, Eric thinks that Charlie um, is the one who betrayed his father. Yes, we don't know that it's Charlie at the time, but it's kind of tipped off by the fact that, like, the person's face is covered and just... They do zoom in on his last name. And they zoom in on his last name, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, following that, we do get a little montage of the other angels also on dates. So, we've got Natalie and Pete, they're at Soul Train, which is super funny. I am obsessed with this little scene. Natalie gets asked to dance on stage to Baby Got Back, and she does some solid moves like the robot and the running man. Yeah, the scene is hilarious. So it shows her on stage shaking her non-existent booty. And you look out into the audience, and we have uh, Luke Wilson like cheering her on, talking to the security guards, saying, like, isn't she great? And the rest of the audience is just gawking at her. Um Being like, what are you doing? Yeah, they eventually get into it, though, which is nice. (laughs) Yeah, so she keeps, like, you know, doing her silly dances and kind of gets the crowd riled up and they decide to join in, which is fun because it's like, you know, if someone's going to make fun of you, if you just keep going and and get everyone kind of in on the joke and, like, laughing and and dancing with you, she's just so carefree and and happy that it's, it's contagious. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Um, Have you ever asked your date or told your date that you need to go number one? Oh my gosh, I also wrote that down. That is a horrible phrasing. You should never say that. That, I hated every second of that. Just say you need to go to the bathroom, girl. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that was awful. I'm going number one. If you have to go number two, are you going to tell him that too? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah, that was horrible. Notable line. Yeah. So we cut to see Jason, and it looks like he's talking to Alex, but it turns out that it's just a movie scene. But we see him talking to this girl on set, um, saying that he loves her. And I, I wrote, oh, like Joey loves Lucy, like happy face. And then afterwards, I wrote, oh, it's a movie scene. And I put a bunch <laughs> of sad faces. I was so disappointed. Um But hey, at least he's getting work. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, happy for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and we get another cutscene. Vivian has shown up at Bosley's, and this is shocking and spicy. And Bosley's very very much like, hey, like, listen, we we shouldn't do this. And Vivian's like, oh, come on, like, let's have a drink. And Bosley does kind of eventually agree and we see that vivian is going to slip something into bosley's drink this is a good reminder to everyone always keep your drinks covered don't leave it alone all i wrote in my notes was miss vivian please stop (laughs) yeah we are not fans of vivian of course Mm -hmm. i mean she's pretty fun but you know don't don't drug people especially not bill murray yeah, Bosley's not a fan but of the let's get it on component. He's like, no, no, you've employed us. I can't. But then he just gets knocked out. Yep. And we get another scene. This time it's Corwin. And essentially we just see a quick shot of Corwin getting murdered by Creepy Thin Man. Yeah, that that was pretty disappointing. The Sogster lives. I know. The Sogster lives and... Poor Corwin has met his demise. He didn't really deserve it. 
No, I guess he was like a little creepy at the massage shop, but he did stop as soon as she told him what's what. So I don't hate him. Yeah. He didn't need to go like this. He didn't. And I feel like we can kind of yada yada what happens. But basically, the three angels have been attacked on their dates following all of the nice stuff that's happened. So at Soul Train, um, Natalie gets attacked in the bathroom and Alex is preparing food for Jason in his trailer and gets essentially completely like shot at and is able to escape that. And then we go over to Dylan, who is, of course, still at Knox's house. Yes. So Vivian actually shows up to Knox's after she's dealt with Bosley. And it is revealed that Eric is actually still seeing Vivian and doesn't care about Dylan. He grabs Vivian's gun and Dylan is standing in front of the window because pretty much his whole house is windows because he lives in a bomb mansion overlooking like this forest. And she's standing in front of it in a sheet and he shoots at her. And while the bullet misses, she still falls backwards through the window. The sheet gets hooked onto a shard of glass. And so she's able to hold onto the sheet hanging out the window naked and creepy thin man, um, Vivian and Eric all walk away. They don't realize that she's still alive, hanging out of the window. The sheet rips and she falls, but the fall is cushioned by how much closer she is to the ground now. And she rolls down the hill um, into someone's backyard who they, they help her get back to where she needs to be. Yeah, she rolls into the backyard of some kids but actually, fun fact, this is the same house that E.T. was shot at. Oh, very cool. Yes. Drew Barrymore, I believe that's her first role, so it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So there are these kids that are playing video games, and they're just like these little boys talking about like, oh, you've never seen boobs before. No, you haven't. And then uh, Drew runs up just holding a pool floaty covering her privates. And they're just, like, gawking at her, which is a little creepy. They they're so her, young. They give Shield her your eyes, su- children. They give her a sweet outfit, though. Yeah, she looks dope. They give her a stone-cold Steve Austin t-shirt, some orange shorts, and some sweet kicks. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, um, Alex and Natalie have come together. They've essentially realized that Knox is trying to kill Charlie, and they're, they need to use Boz to do it. So, we get... Essentially, the three of them realizing this, and then we see that the agency is going to be completely blown up. Yeah, so they need Bosley because Bosley is the only person that Charlie calls. So when he calls, what they want to do is use the technology that clearly they have stolen for themselves, and Red Star was not the one coming up with this big plan. And when Charlie calls, they want to use this tech to identify his voice and be able to pinpoint exactly where he is in the world so that Eric can go kill him and get revenge for his father. Yeah, so we got a little montage of Boz in captivity. And honestly, this is what I would also be doing if I was in captivity. He's just, like, doing weird stuff. He's, like, talking to animals. Like, this this would be me if I was ever in prison or anything. Yeah, he's not very he, he's not very good at trying to escape. He's kind of just kind of 
hitting his butt into the door, running around the room, um, not being the most effective when all of a sudden he realizes that he still has his molar transponder in his mouth. So he starts holding his hands up behind his head, seemingly to act as some kind of satellite, which I don't think that would actually do anything, but (laughs) he starts trying to use it. Um, At this point, the girls have all met up again. They run over to what was um, their headquarters to see it completely in ruins. And while they're looking through all of the the rocks and, and gravel that have just kind of collapsed, Um, they hear Bosley through a speaker that's still amongst the rubble. And they run over and they're asking him where he is. They He's not able to describe it, but Natalie hears a specific bird in the background that Bosley has befriended. And she is able to identify the bird and exactly the only place in the world that it could possibly be. Yeah, so she realizes the bird is a pygmy nuthatch and that... The only place that they'll be able to find a pygmy nuthatch is in Carmel, which Carmel, honestly, not a bad place to be imprisoned. Yeah, it seems like it looks like a very cool castle. So the girls realize they need to get to this island, but be incognito. So how will they get close without being identified? They realize they need to give the Chad a call as he has a boat. Yeah, as discussed, I mean... He lives on a boat, so what's the best way that they're going to be able to be to be under the radar approaching than by Chad's boat, which looks like every other boat on the sea? So they head over to the island. The Chad is talking a lot about how much he cares for Dylan and how he's so excited that she's interested in what he does and he can start to to try to show her more of his life and they can really be together. While this is happening, the girls are sitting at the back, getting into their scuba diving suits, and he turns back as they're leaving, and they're about to jump out of the boat and swim off to shore. But uh, Dylan lets him know that it was not the Chad this time that, that pushed her away. No, it was never the Chad. The Chad was great. Yeah, so the ladies make it to shore, where they start stripping off their scuba gear and walking up so they can... Go and save Bosley. The three of them split up into different directions. We have Alex going to the very top to stop the communication from happening so that they can intercept the call that Charlie makes. We have Dylan going to take care of Eric. And we have Natalie on her way in to save Bosley. Yes. And we also do at this point or a little before get a montage that really proves to us that Eric Knox is now evil because he is, one, now wearing all black, two, he is in tinted sunglasses, three, he's smoking, and four, he's listening to rap music. So, I mean, how much more evil mastermind can you be? It's very, very clear that he's evil now. The tight black clothes are obviously a clear giveaway. He's no longer this scruffy engineer in Kahikis. Yeah, good for him, honestly. What a fit. (laughs) Also, what are those dance moves are very impressive. Yeah, he does the splits at one point. I wonder if that was actually him. I think it was. I I haven't looked it up, but I'm going to pretend that Sam Rockwell is just an amazing dancer. Yeah, that would be great. I know that the girls went through very extensive training, that they did like eight hours a day, five days a week to get this 
specific fighting style done that we get to see a lot of in these scenes. So they do, um, I believe it's called wire foo, where it's a combination of wire work and kung fu. And we see all three of the parties go and they get into these epic fight scenes, trying to help Bosley escape, trying to get back at Eric, and trying to stop the communication. So they use this really interesting style of fighting, and they never use guns throughout the film. Yeah, which is super cool, and I feel like a really fun departure from some of the other movies that we've been watching. Like It's, it's nice to watch some hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, Drew Barrymore specifically didn't want any of them to use guns as... You know, they are role models and in society, a lot of kids like will hold up fake guns because they want to pretend to be a character from an action movie. And with guns becoming more accessible at the time in America, she didn't want kids to have to hold a gun to pretend to be them. She wanted to be a different kind of superhero, kind of like Superman or Indiana Jones, where they're able to be someone that they idolize and look up to that doesn't need to resort to that level of violence. Yeah, I think it was a great call to do this. And also encourage kids to get into martial arts and kung fu. So let's jump over to Dylan, who's trying to confront Knox. She is caught relatively quickly, I would say. Yeah, immediately. And considering we know her level of fighting skill, it is surprising. And it almost seems like she lets him uh, catch her. So he ties her to a chair, puts um, some duct tape over her mouth, and it just kind of maniacally laughing. Yeah, and he draws lips on the duct tape and like kisses them. And I'm just like, ew, you are disgusting, Eric. We hate you. I know. I went from loving him to hating him so fast. Yeah, no matter how good your dance moves are, we cannot forgive you for this. <laughs> this part also has one of the, the best lines in the movie, in my opinion, which is Dylan saying to the goons who are essentially supposed to be like watching her or beating her up or whatever. And she says, by the time this is over, you're all going to be face down on the floor and I'm going to moonwalk right out of here. And essentially, as soon as Eric leaves, she busts out of the chair. Um, She's not able to get her hands undone, um, but she still fights off the room full of uh, guys. And in fact, I would not call it moonwalking, but she does some (laughs) sort of backward dance out of the room. She attempts a moonwalk out of there. Yeah. um, I kind of wish she actually moonwalked, but I won't be too picky. (laughs) I think the moonwalk is like... Maybe it's hard to learn. I've never even tried because that just, I just don't think that my body is able to do that. But yeah, I'm also not a very good dancer. So this might be outside of my abilities, but it did seem like they had specialists training them for eight hours a day. They should have (laughs) snuck in some dance training, really made this a priority. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't grab someone to be like, hey, can you just teach her how to moonwalk for one hour a day on top of that, please? The cobblestone stone floor would have also made moonwalking very difficult, a real tripping hazard. Yeah, maybe she does know how to moonwalk, but they just hadn't tried it on the cobblestone, and they were just like, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So should we jump over to Natalie and Bosley? Perfect. So Natalie is yelling up the stairs, trying to figure out where Bosley is. She hears him from a room, and she goes to help him out, but she also gets a phone call, which she decides to answer. Yeah, it's Pete calling. 
Yeah, so she's chatting with him on the phone, really excited to hear his voice. He's explaining that he really wanted to call her back and he'd love to spend some time together. And Bosley's kind of on the other side of the door saying, you know, like, let's let's move along. Like, maybe we take this call later. But she's chatting and then Vivian appears. Uh, yeah, because Vivian has said earlier to Eric, never send a man to do a woman's job. So Vivian appears and they start fighting and she gets Bosley out because Vivian attacks her with an axe, which she uses to open up the door. She chucks it to Bosley and then she starts fighting um, with Vivian. Yes. And at the same time that this is happening, we have another fight happening as Alex is trying to hack into the computers to try and stop the satellites from being able to track down where Charlie's coming from, creepy thin man arrives. Yeah, so he sneaks up behind her very quietly because he is very creepy and thin and I guess doesn't make that much noise when he walks. (laughs) Quiet thin man. (laughs) Quiet thin man sneaks up behind her. She's very focused on her communications briefcase that she's using to stop the signal going out And he sneaks up behind her, he pulls out his cane sword and goes to attack her, but this startles a bird that is in front of her, which causes her to jump out of the way. Yeah, I believe it's also a pygmy nuthatch. Yeah, they're really the MVPs of this movie. They're helping out way more than I could in this scenario. Yeah, I'm sure you could have warned a person, but... Maybe. He was pretty quiet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very quiet then. So. There's some sweet fight scenes that go down here, essentially each of them fighting off their their own baddies. And while this is going on, Knox is trying to escape into a helicopter. Yes, yeah, so Charlie has called at the time he calls Bosley every day. And he successfully finds out where Charlie is located. So the girls are all fighting their way down um, this building and this hill to where they all meet up together and they see Eric hop into a helicopter because he's on his way to kill Charlie. So they do, each of them manage to beat their person. Eric actually shoots a missile at the building that they're at and the angels are able to jump out of the way. And as they're kind of like getting out of the way, Bosley rolls up in a car and he grabs them. I think it's a Jeep, but I can't remember for for 100% fact. I guess Eric no longer gives a shit about Thin Man and Vivian because he just blew them to pieces. Yeah, kind of kind of shitty to blow up your girlfriend like that, especially when she put her ass on the line to try and help you try and get your vendetta against this guy, but you know, whatever. Yeah, he also slept with Dylan, who he really didn't need to do that to trick her. Like, it didn't get him anywhere. I think Eric is just, like, full bad guy. As we talked about, you know, the all-black wardrobe, the sunglasses, the smoking. Like, he's just really evil. Just not a good boyfriend. Not a good boyfriend. So, the angels are chasing after our bad boyfriend, Eric. And Alex is able to shoot a tether onto the helicopter. Basically using, like, a bow and arrow. And they all kind of grab onto it, and they're able to climb up onto the helicopter. How surprising would it be if you shot a missile at someone and you're flying away in a helicopter and suddenly they appear in the helicopter? (laughs) (laughs) 
I I don't even know what I would do. <laughs> the, the the level of shock. I don't want to be too shocking, but creepy thin man is in the second movie, even what? though he definitely got blown up here. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, I'm I like hope one day nine, we watch the second movie. <laughs> I'm like ninety nine percent sure. That's insane. Ah, oh, I'm so glad he's back. So. The girls, they shimmy their way up to the helicopter. We have Dylan who actually goes inside, whereas um, Natalie and Alex are outside on like the little helicopter feet. And Dylan goes in and just starts punching the shit <laughs> out of Eric, which must have been so satisfying for her. Oh, yeah, as she should. Mm-hmm. So she's attacking him. They are getting closer and closer to Charlie. Um while this is happening, Alex is on the foot and she straddles this missile that is attached to the helicopter. She opens it up and she's able to reprogram it to be a heat-seeking missile. So when Eric shoots it seemingly towards Charlie on his little beach house, Alex warns the girls to jump. They all jump out of the helicopter because the missile, when it launches, it comes back to the helicopter because it is the warmest thing in the vicinity. So I was really getting shades of triple X here with the heat-seeking missile talk and the, like, trying to sit and reprogram where things are going to shoot. Yeah, this was excellent. It was so fun. Um, it kind of comes full circle back to the beginning of the movie where we see people falling out of a plane and they land in the water. And as they look up, they see Eric exploded, uh, dead, ta-ta, motherfucker. We don't need you anymore. We're moving on. Yes, we will miss your dance moves, but nothing else. <laughs> so they get up and they realize that for the first time they might actually be able to meet Charlie. Oh, yeah, they're so excited and they're like trying to like make sure that they look okay to go into Charlie's place and it's so cute and they open the door and of course they hear hello angels from the little speaker but we see that in Charlie's cottage he has a little picture of them. And we see the picture that Eric also had that has Charlie in it and it has Eric's father in it. And he also uses the photo to remind himself to always watch his back. And unfortunately, we don't get to meet Charlie just yet. Um, but Charlie sends Bosley and the girls on a lovely vacation as a thank you. And while they are lounging on the beach, um, Dylan turns around and she thinks that she might see... Charlie off in the distance as he's on the phone with them walking down the beach, but she doesn't say anything. Yeah, I really like the ending. I like that we don't get to see Charlie. I feel like that's classic Charlie's Angels, so it would have really taken me out of it if we did get to see who it was. I always want to see who it is. I love surprises, but I hate waiting for them to happen. I always want to know everything all at once, so <laughs> I wish that they just showed his face. I love that they're drinking out of Buddha drinks on the beach, specifically Bosley, because that is a vibe, and I'm pretty jealous. Yeah, they're having a great time on holiday. They're, like, running around, chasing after each other, playing in the water, and I like the vibe that they have. I like that it's not creepy in any way that Bosley's hanging out with them, partying. I like their dynamic um, quite a bit, and this is just a lovely ending to a lovely movie. Yeah, and the credits roll, and Blink-182, all the small things, plays. Again, we didn't really talk about the soundtrack much, but man, so many bops. 
It's such a fun soundtrack. Yeah, it was it was great. Most importantly, Independent Woman, of course. <laughs> yeah. So today, as a fun little extra that we're going to do, is we are going to be taking a quiz of which Charlie's Angel are we? Because we we need to know. Yeah, we need to figure out definitively which angel both of us are. So do you have yours ready to go? I am opening up the quiz. Okay, do you want to start us off with the first question? Yes. The first question is, tell me what you think about me. I buy my own diamonds and I buy my own rings. And the answer options are, I think this is a song, you guys. Well, that's pretty badass and good for you, but there's no shame in letting someone else buy you a bit of jewelry. And I'm going to say, I think this is a song, you guys. I was going to say that too. That's okay. I think we can do the same answer. Yeah, I think that's probably fine. Okay. Question two. When life gives you lemons, dot, 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 stick a slice in your cocktail, make lemonade, of course, or ooh, juggle them. I'm definitely going cocktail. Okay. I'm going to say ooh, juggle them only because I'm trying to learn to juggle. Um, I I did get juggling balls, which um, maybe one day I'll, I'll be a juggler. Stay tuned. Wow. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. I'm clearly in quarantine right now. (laughs) I feel like that might be the most quarantine activity. Next question is, who is your favorite Beatle? The answers are all Ringo. People don't give Ringo enough love. John, I can't resist his smart-ass sense of humor. Or Paul, he has the sweetest voice and I think he's the best musician. I will say my favorite Beatle is not on here, which is a little offensive. (laughs) That's too bad. But, you know, justice for George Harrison, uh, playbuzz.com, which Charlie's Angels are you quiz. I think I will pick Paul. Okay, I'm going to pick John. So Bosley's going undercover as JD. How will you remember his nickname? Is it Just Dance? Jack Daniels or Jelly Donut? <laughs> jelly Donut for me. Okay, yeah. I think I'm going to say Jelly Donut as well. Okay, what is your greatest weakness? Men, I always fall for the bad guy. Music, I just can't help but dance when I hear a good beat. Or cooking, it's the one thing I just can't master. It shouldn't be so impossible to make one stupid souffle. I find these so hard to relate to. (laughs) Like, I never fall for the bad guy. I don't listen to that much music, and I love cooking. So this, for me, is definitely the hardest decision I will have to make. I probably dance more than the other two, so I'm going to pick music. Um, I'm going to pick the men one. I feel like I have a history of picking walking red flags. (laughs) who is your favorite other angel so we have clarence from it's a wonderful life so classic we have christopher lloyd from angels in the outfield love me some baseball and we have chris angel i wish i could do magic i definitely have an answer for this one Oh, same. A hundred percent. I'm picking Chris Angel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chris Angel. That's the, the only that's answer. The only answer. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite superhero movie? Guardians of the Galaxy for that funky soundtrack. The Avengers. So many handsome heroes to pick from. 
I'll get back to you when they make a good one with a female lead. So this one for me is also easy. I'm going to pick Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, I don't love the weird, like, add-ons. I guess I'll pick the Avengers. And then lastly, we have Be Honest, Wish the Skies Was Your Idea. So we have the Yodlers. I campaigned hard for the Yodlers. We have the racetrack driver outfits weren't entirely my idea, but I'll take full credit for wearing mine unzipped down to my belly button. And the efficiency expert. I knew I could rock that leather skirt. I have one that I like would want to pick and one that's like more realistic. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you want to pick the efficiency expert that you feel more drawn towards the race car. So, sort of. I think that I should pick the yodelers, but I'm more <laughs> am the efficiency expert. Okay. I was very incorrect. Um, I think I'm going to pick the yodelers because I would never unzip my top down to my belly button. I think I would, to be honest, but I'm going to pick the leather skirt. Calculating. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Who did you get? <laughs> I'm so nervous we got the same person. I got Dylan. Okay, we did not get the same person. Okay. You may seem like the toughest, most smart-ass angel of the bunch, but you're really the most sensitive of them all. There's no shame in that. You have the massive heart of a rhino, and as Bosley would wisely tell you, you should be proud of it. Now go on and moonwalk out of here, girl. <laughs> Amazing. Dylan's such a good choice. I got Natalie, who's probably my least favorite angel, oh, and probably no. the one I relate to the least, but that is perfectly okay. I will accept this as... The quiz said it to be so. Um, so, looks like we got ourselves a Natalie. You are pure sunshine, and the sincere enjoyment you get out of life never comes through so much as when you're dancing like nobody's watching, though they often are. You just keep doing you, Angel. In fact, why don't you treat yourself and get tickets to something you love? You love tickets. Whoa. That seems Whoa. like a weird subliminal messaging. Maybe, I don't even know what I could get tickets to. Nothing right now. <laughs> just just a virtual event. Actually, I did get tickets to an event today. That's kind of ironic. Oh. Um, yeah. So my the company that I work for is doing a charity event that we're donating to, and they are allowing some people in our company to go, and they picked me, so I get to go, and I'm very excited virtually. Um, they're going to drop me off some like dinner and stuff. And then I join in online. So that's kind of fun. That's awesome. That's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the only event question mark that I go to all year. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I think that's pretty much everything for the movie. Do we want to really quick tier our characters? Yeah, sure. I think we've said this already, but very quick for the angels. I think our order, I think both of our order might be Alex, Dylan, Natalie. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's true. Okay. Now, do you put Bosley before the angels? No. The angels okay. are on top for sure. I think they're top tier. Yeah, they, they really are fantastic. And I think we've mentioned in some of our other podcasts um, that the lead character is never my favorite. And in this case, they definitely are my favorites. I adore them all. They're so fun. Um, so they're definitely top tier for me. Yeah, they're top. I feel like Bosley is kind of like second tier. I would even maybe put Eric in the top tier. He was like a very good villain. 
Yeah, can we put a crispy thin man near the bottom? I hate him so much. I hate him more <laughs> yes. than anything. Yeah, I think he's bottom tier. Yeah, he's the worst. I feel like in this movie, unlike many of the others, the the villains are low on our list. The good guys are high. It's complete opposite of what we normally are dealing with. The We don't have like overly fun side characters to insert at the top of our tier either. Um, like Bosley is okay like he he's fun but he's not better than the main characters vivian's not a particularly outstanding villain in my mind i don't think she was that great and the other characters were very minor or not that notable yeah like the boyfriends are fine Ooh, we could rank the boyfriends Okay, I'm guessing Eric's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Does Eric even count as a boyfriend? I feel like Chad Maybe is the Chad. boyfriend. Okay, I would probably put the Chad as the worst. Ooh, oh, I would not. <laughs> I because would go, he took them on a boat? I because would, he doesn't have many lines. That's, he's intriguing to me. Whoa, you're into the Chad. I, I like kind of like that he calls her starfish. It's kind of nice. I just want a no. nickname. It's not for me. That's not that's not the nickname. <laughs> so it was the Chad for you. <laughs> it, it was the Chad for me. Now, um, the Chad and Dylan actually in real life were married. And I recently saw an interview with them where Drew Barrymore currently has her own show. And Tom Green went on recently and they were so nice and sweet to each other. And I don't know of anyone, any divorced couple in the world, I don't know if they're that nice to each other. So that was a really nice interview to watch, and it definitely made me like their characters more. But he is still bottom of the list for me. (laughs) Even after saying all of that, he is still third. (laughs) Yeah, the Chad is low on my list. Yeah, I think I would go Pete, then Chad, then Jason. Okay, I'm going to go uh, Pete, then Jason, then Chad. Fair enough. I just find Jason very milk toast. Yeah. Yeah, but he like he loves her no matter what and he eats her cooking even though it's bad and he's That's really true. encouraging about her job and when she said, "You know, I have to tell you something. I'm not actually a bikini waxer." Like he's so cool and nice about it and even when his trailer gets completely shot up, he just asks if she's okay and doesn't get upset and is fine when she drives off. So he's actually pretty fantastic. Fair enough, fair enough. Maybe you've convinced me. The Chad just kind of drives a boat and calls himself the Chad in third person, which it's also horrible when people talk in third person. (laughs) So far, we've offended people with foot fetishes, people with hair fetishes, and people who talk in the third person. (laughs) I think I'm going to say I'm okay with that. (laughs) If you currently talk about yourself in the third person... And you're still listening to this podcast. I have some really good advice for you. Stop. Stop it. Wow. Stop it. People already know your name if they know you. Stop it. Oh, my. (laughs) It's a weird thing to do. (laughs) We really struck a nerve today. So I guess I, I, I guess um, I'm not going to tell people to just stop their weird fetishes either. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And. I did put up a poll on our Instagram, at ExplosionsPod. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter to decide what our next movie would be. Do you want to hear the results? Yes, I do. So it was between Anaconda, the 1997 classic, and 
Godzilla, the 2014 new classic, and Godzilla just barely edged out Anaconda. Wow, so we're going to watch Godzilla next week. Yeah, which I think might be kind of nice because it's a little more modern. It's also on Netflix in Canada, so anyone who wants to watch along with us, very accessible. Perfect. I'm I'm excited. I love it when the movies are easy to find. Yeah, for sure. This one was pretty nice because it was on like CBC or whatever. We don't talk about this enough, but I actually paid for Triple X, and that was a regret. <laughs> I'll make that $6 up to you someday. <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll get through it. <laughs> and we do have another podcast. If you're interested in hearing Megan and I talk about Nathan for you, it's called Nathan for Us. And you can follow us on socials at Nathan for Us Pod. Yeah. And if you've never watched Nathan for You, it is an absolutely hysterical show about a Canadian comedian named Nathan Fielder. He goes to businesses and he pitches them these outrageous ideas. They think that he is giving them genuine advice, but really he's kind of playing a bit of a prank on them by giving them really silly, funny advice. And they follow through with these ridiculous ideas. And it's just a really fun show to watch and and chat about so you can either watch the episodes or give one of our episodes a listen for a full breakdown and see maybe if it's a show you'd want to watch while in quarantine yeah we even like go in and check on how the businesses are doing currently so it's not just recapping we do do some outside research as well i think that about wraps up charlie's angels a very fun female focused movie yeah i loved it and see y'all next week Yes, make sure to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you to talk about Godzilla.